Mark chapter 2. Here we go. Read with me. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he, that's Jesus, was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And He rose and immediately picked up His bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Amen. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me and ask God to open our eyes in these next few moments? Oh Lord, we thank You for the fact that You have not left us as orphans, that You have spoken to us, and You have done so in Your Word. And so we ask now that You would unstop our hard ears, that You would take our hard hearts and bend them that we might be able to hear You. Would You, Holy Spirit, do this? For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know about you guys, but have y'all noticed lately that the word awkward, the word awkward is getting a lot of press these days? Um, you know, we all know what it means, right? And I, I love, personally, like if you were to ask Kelly, our old intern, she would tell you this, that I love making people feel awkward. So you might not want to get to know me, then uh, that's fine too. But uh, I'm really excited because by Mary Elizabeth's own admission, she's sort of an awkward queen, which is just going to be great for our... Uh, for our relationship over these next couple years. But, so I don't know what comes to your mind when I say the word awkward, but I know what comes to mind a hundred times out of a hundred. Two words. Are you ready? Middle school. <laughs> yeah, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. This place still haunts me, you guys. I'm pretty sure that I still need therapy for the insane amounts of awkward that I embodied and that was imposed upon me during those years. It was during my middle school years that I asked my first girl out on a, you know, to the dance. And, um, and yeah, so that was pretty awkward too because it didn't go so well. Um, I called her on the phone to do this. Her name was Rebecca. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about that uh, very awkward uh, experience. 
first of all, her mom answered the phone. Um, <laughs> which meant that this was going to take a lot longer than I had anticipated, right? Uh, and then there was that moment, too, when um, I finally spoke in that like stalled and squeaky uh, seventh grader voice that was like, uh, uh, it's, it's, Rebecca, it's Rebecca there. How many of y'all just feel it? You just feel it right now. This is what I'm talking about. And she said, uh, yeah, hold on one second. And then Rebecca eventually picked up the phone after what felt like hours. And she ended up saying, no, I can't go to the dance with you. So I was like, uh, okay, uh, I don't have really anything else to say. And so I went to the dance that week uh, by myself and watched her dance all night with Grant. So that's, uh, that was really awkward too. And then there was this awkward thing I did too in a seventh grade with my feet. Now, hear me out on this. My feet, yes, I said that. Um, see, I am clearly not, if you were to look at me, I'm clearly not pigeon-toed. But some of y'all are. And um, there was, I don't know what was going on. Again, I was, seven, I was, you know, in seventh grade. But, like, all of the best athletes in seventh grade, for some reason at my school, were, were pigeon-toed. And so, I thought, well... For me to be really good at like baseball or basketball, I should pigeon toe my feet. Maybe that will make me fast or uh, I can hit the ball further or something like that. But um, all that really happened was it just made me trip. And then that was pretty awkward too. So you can kind of see that um, middle school for me was a very awkward time in my life. Um, for what it's worth, awkwardness uh, happens uh, like this to all of us. And I thought that if I changed, if I changed and looked and played sports like the best players, then I would be accepted. And you know, I want you to think about this for a second. Doesn't awkwardness just get born out in your life where your insecurities are? Like, don't you feel most awkward, for example? where you can just say, I'm most insecure there. Well, I digress. What do I, why do I share this story with you? I, I think it's because of this, y'all. You see, I believed that if I could be like them, whoever they were, then I would be accepted. And you know what? You do this too. It doesn't matter what arena of life it is. It doesn't matter. You can think about the clothes that you wear, the people that you run around with. And I want to say that it's exactly at this point in our lives that this text comes exploding into our lives. Why? Because the resounding theme in it is the exact opposite. Here's what I mean. This text is going to show us that it is when we are accepted that it's, begin, that it's there that we begin to really change, that we begin to be different. And in this story, the one who accepts is Jesus. It centers around a paralyzed man who is hopeless to change. He cannot make his legs work. He cannot do this. He is powerless, but Jesus will meet him. In fact, we're going to see that Jesus' words and Jesus' ways, 
that what He says and what He does really do change us. When we're around Him, something about Him penetrates us to our core and begins to remake us. So tonight, let's take a look at what He says, at what He does, and what happens in response. What He says. You take a look with me there at verses 1 and 2. I'm going to be ever so quick going through this. Jesus says several things here, right? The text tells us that. It's the story of Jesus teaching, and then a man is all of a sudden lowered into the roof. I mean, just imagine that. You're sitting there listening to Jesus, and you start getting like dirt and plastic in your hair because somebody is sawing out the roof. But I want you to see, before we get to any interaction with the paralytic man, that Jesus is is saying something. Did you catch it there? It says there in verse 2, look with me, it says, and He was preaching the Word to Him, to them. Now Mark wants us to know and to see something incredibly important. He wants us to see that Jesus Himself is preaching, speaking, and talking about the Scriptures, the Bible. In other words, Jesus' very words are the Bible's words. And what do these words say? Well, if we were to look at the entirety of this message, we would see that there is one large overarching scope of the Bible. And it is this. It tells the wonderfully true story of a God breaking into history to rescue us and to put the world back together again. If you and me were to read this, and to read it in its overarching scope, that's what this entire book would be about. That it's a story about a God coming and fixing broken people, places, and things. And that is what Jesus is talking about, and Mark is dying for you to see and for you to know. Listen, why is this so important? Mark is trying to tell you that Jesus' every word was about a God who loves, who takes great delight in saving not perfect people, but like I just mentioned, train wrecks. His grace is absolutely free and unmerited. You do nothing to get it. You do nothing to get Him to look at you, to get Him to love you. Instead, this story is about a God who loves you because of what Jesus has done for you. Y'all, that is staggering. And why does this matter at a place like RUF? It means this. It means that everything that we're going to do in RUF is because of this. I love poetry. But I'm not going to come in here and talk about poetry. I mean, unless it's like the Psalms. And like, I think sometimes that I have some good ideas, but y'all don't want to hear my ideas. You need to hear this book. The reason I care so much about it is because Jesus cares so much about it. The reason that RUF cares so much about this book is because Jesus cares so much about this book. Look, this is not a book 
This is not a Hogwarts potion book. That if you just sort of read some things, some good things might happen in your life. No. This is a story of a God saving you. But here is the hardest thing for every single one of us. You ready? Because each of us is so incredibly selfish. And if you don't think you are, ask your best friend. Ask your parents. They'll tell you if they're honest. But because we're so selfish, we think that this book is about us. And what Jesus is going to firmly tell us is that this book has everything to do for you, but it is not about you. It is about a king that comes to rescue his princess. And that's what we're going to spend every single week talking about in new and fresh ways. So that's a little bit about what we'll talk about in RUF. Namely, Jesus' words. But that's not all. You see, because Jesus doesn't just say something here in this text, Jesus also does something. He gets His hands dirty. Remember with me, out of nowhere, a man comes through the roof. Okay, This man would have been entirely dependent because of his paralysis on the help of his friends to get him at the foot of Jesus. And you'll notice that if you're familiar with this story, you will know that the big sort of thing that you walk away with is that Jesus heals him. And that where he once could not walk, he now can. But Mark wants you to see that something else is going on first. He wants you to see that this man comes looking for a physical healing as it were. But he not only gets that, he gets something much deeper. Do you see it there? He says in verse 5, My son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just get healed physically, but he gets healed spiritually. While this man came looking for a physical healing, a deeper need presented itself. We'll talk about that in just a second. He came looking for His legs to work again. And Jesus loved Him enough to go much deeper into who He was and to fix what was more core to Him and to deal with His sin problem. That's the first thing that Jesus does. Look, I want you to know that this matters incredibly for TCU students. Here is why. Because most of you, in the years that I have gotten to walk alongside of you, you come to Jesus looking for a quick surface fix. You start stressing out for a test, and you go, Jesus, can you just help me get an A? You know what? I'll take a B. Just help me to get it. Or... If you were like me in college, you get dumped by a girl and then you say, Oh, Lord, we just make her like me again? Or if I can just get that boy to see me and to finally ask me out, Jesus, then I'll really trust you. Then I'll really come to you. And you know what? Jesus is good to us in that He gives us those good things. But He will not rest content and giving you only that. He will, bear, he will go 
deep, y'all, and make you deal with something far more question, far more important, rather, called your, are you ready for this? Your guilt. You see, some of you have only been on campus for five days and you already hate yourself. Some of you have been here for three years and you're going, this is not the person that I thought that I would become. Some of you are looking and thinking about college going, this is the last time I will hear anybody else talk about Jesus because I'm about to put my life on hold and I'm going to put Jesus up on a shelf, the whole God thing, for four years. And then when I'm done with college, I'll come back. Because isn't that what you're supposed to do? Isn't that the sort of conventional wisdom that these are supposed to be the best years of your life and you're supposed to just go crazy and then you come back to God when you're done with college? And I want to say this. What will you do with your guilt? You will run around to a billion other things. And you know what? Nothing will satisfy you. That's why we sang this song. It will be like dirt in your mouth. It will be like money that doesn't spend. It will be like broken cisterns that don't hold water. But this text tells you that there is someone who will look into you at all the stuff that you can't imagine other people knowing about you, and He will say, bring it to me. He will say all that stuff that you can't stand to bear and that you hate about yourself, come to me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, several of us in this room, myself included doing this in college, I ran away from God because I said, you don't know me. You don't know how bad I have become. And God says in this text, you have no idea how much I know you. You cannot surprise me. So come to me, warts and all, and let me deal with you. First of all, He forgives the needy. But secondly, what does He do? And this might be something that agitates us more than we can imagine. He questions the religious people. Do you see what was happening there? Jesus Himself was talking and the scribes, the Bible teachers there in verse 6, begin to question what He had done. And Jesus looks at them squarely. He looks at these religious do-gooders, these Bible whizzes, these perfect people who knew their own Bibles, and He says, why are you questioning in your heart? Jesus, in fact, in Luke's account, tells us that, he, that they were actually accusing Him of blasphemy. Jesus confronts these religious elites. And here is what I want you to take away. Jesus' grace will always, always, always scandalize religious types. His grace is so radical that it will offend all of your religious sensibilities. By that, I mean... All of those sensibilities that say, God will really be happy with me if I'm just a good person. If I can just stay away from the bad things and do all the good things, then God will be happy with me. Because I will have done all the right stuff that now God is in debt to me and He must do good unto me. And Jesus' grace in this text shows us 
that nothing is further from the truth. This means that when you get to near to Jesus, if you're a religious person, hear me well, you will hate Him because He will piss you off. Because that means all of the things and all of the people that you are trying to not be like are finding mercy and grace with Him. Why is this so huge in RUF? Here's why. Because if we in RUF are doing ministry right, it means that all the people here are going to be people in some way. You're going to find some people that you don't like and that make you mad. And in that moment, you're going to have to deal with this question. Whose grace does Jesus go to? Here's what this means. It means that roommate that you can't stand because they keep shacking up with their boyfriend and you have to go find somewhere else to stay at night, they might start coming. It means your fraternity brother who just is partying every weekend might actually begin to know the grace of God and might start showing up. What will you do with that? It will mess with you. Because deep down, we all have self-righteous sensibilities. And this text is going to show us that RUF necessarily will be a messy place. It's a messy people of community. And if we are doing ministry well, you will find at the exact same time people finding mercy and religious people losing their religion. And it's a wonderful place to be. So come, come, come. Be a part of this. You will find life here. I guarantee you. Come. Lastly, what happens when this grace explodes in our life? I just want you to look ever so briefly at verse 12. Did you see that? He says this, Mark does, He, the man, rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Luke tells us that this man in Luke chapter 5 went away glorifying God. Now, but Mark says, so that they were all amazed and glorified God. Do you see what is happening here, y'all? The grace of God has invaded these people's life in the work of what has just happened in this paralytic man. And even... So, first of all, this man is really changed because he goes away having experienced and tasted deep the grace of God that he himself is changed and is now glorifying God. But that is not at all only what is happening. Because the text says that all were amazed. And do you know who was included in the all? Those self-righteous Pharisees. Those scribes. Something happened. The shell came off. The scales began to fall. And they were softened by the grace of God. What happens? They begin to glorify Him. Now listen. What in the world does that word glorify mean? Well, I'll tell you real quick. Um, I have used this illustration before, and so just hang with me on it. But uh, I went to the University of Tennessee, and in 1998, uh, our football team won the national championship. And for several years before then, Florida had just kicked our butts up and down the field. But in 1998 as I sat in the 8th row with 108,000 people around me in UT Stadium, the game ended in a tie. 
Now, Tennessee had the ball first, and they went down and had to settle for a three-point field goal. And then it was Florida's turn to have a go. Our defense stopped them. Our, like I played. You know what I mean. Um, Stopped them. And it was time for them to try to tie it with a field goal. Well, I'll I'll turn it over now to the venerable John Ward, our uh, play caller there, and listen to the call. He said, the kick is in the air. And this kick, this time, is no sirree. Final score, Tennessee 20, Florida 17, pandemonium reigns. And do you know why pandemonium reigns? Because at that moment, as I look back, 60,000 people started running right at me to get on the field and tear the goalpost down. Now at that moment, just hang with me, in that moment, people were glorifying something. And it was a group of 18 to 22 year olds that were dressed in orange and white who knew how to play this little oblong ball-shaped game. In that moment, they were ecstatic. It was chaos all night long. And I just want to show you this, that to glorify something is merely to praise it, to speak well of what you love. And that's what's happening in this text. Because when Jesus' words and ways invade your life, it goes down to the very core of who you are and begins to change you. I simply want to close with this. Jesus was one of the most attractive people who ever lived. I don't mean physical beauty. Rather, I mean He was a person that people of all types, secular, religious, rich, poor, Tax collectors, the prostitutes were all drawn to. And when they were, they were forever changed. You see, the reason that this happened was because He loved and accepted them first. And then He began to change them. And the reason He was able to do that was because He Himself was not accepted by God, but was utterly rejected. In other words, the acceptance that you don't deserve and that Jesus rightly deserves with the Father, you get because He suffered utter rejection. That is the Gospel. It is the best thing that you will hear tonight. Because it means this. You cannot clean up enough to get God to love you. And y'all, that's what we're going to be about in RUF. And so I hope that you will come back. And I hope that you will take part in this community. It is a community of people who long to know Jesus and to be changed by Him. I hope you'll join us this year. Will you pray?